0: Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by His Spirit, will use His Word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemernoxville.org. We also wanna give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemernoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much. And here is this week's sermon. Well, if you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 13. You can follow along with me in your Bible. There's also a pew Bible in front of most of you, or else you can follow along with me in the bulletin where it's graciously and freely been provided uh, for you. Uh, I do want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. It's great to have you with us. My name is Sean Slate. and I'm the pastor here, and we're so glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing this morning. For instance, you could be on your bike taking some sweet jumps. Uh, you could be uh, preparing for the great concert tonight down at the Tennessee Theater the, for the MLK celebration, or you could be at home recovering from this illness that virtually the whole city has kind of been suffering through every last couple weeks but you're not you're here and i really do want to thank you uh, for coming and the reality is that there really is nothing better that you could do with your time uh, than worship jesus uh, consider his claims upon your life and think about the kindness and the beauty Of his salvation. So I do want to welcome you uh, to Redeemer. Thank you for coming. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church. And what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God, He's the Messiah. And He's entered into the world uh, to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week, as His people, we gather together in His name to worship Him so that we might learn to rest and the love that God has for us in Christ. And as we rest in his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in community. We love to spend time with one another. We love to hang out with one another. We love to do things together, eat and drink and all kinds of things like that. But what we really love to do is gather together read the Bible and pray together so that we can remind each other of that great love that God has for us in Christ. And as we rest in his love and as we remind each other of his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in service so that together we might reflect the love of God to our families, to our friends, to our neighbors who are here in Urban and University in Knoxville and hopefully in some way it would spill out into uh, the entire world, right? That's who we are. Where people are trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that during this season of epiphany, uh, we want to consider what it might mean for us to be a revealing church. What it would mean for us to be a church that is revealing Jesus and revealing his kingdom to the world. And so last week, we began a new sermon. I said it's one sermon over seven weeks. rather than give you all seven weeks on one Sunday morning, uh, we just divided up over seven weeks. And so we're asking this question, what does it mean for us to be a revealing church? And last week, we talked about being a witnessing church. This week, we want to talk about being a spiritual church. Next week, a Christian church, a gathering church, a healing church, a confessing church, and a generous church. And so this morning, we want to ask God that he would make us a spiritual church. So with that in mind, uh, let's look together. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Would you pray with me now for the teaching? Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this, your word, that you're a God not hidden, uh, nor are you silent, but you delight to reveal yourself. You've done it in your word and by your spirit, and ultimately you do it in the person and work of Jesus. And it's our prayer now that as we attend unto your word, that you would attend unto us and you would pour yourself out to us, that we would see lovely things of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, whenever people talk about tornadoes, they almost always say, that it sounded like a freight train. Well, after the big uh, tornado that went through Oklahoma back in 2013, the Chicago Tribune ran a testimony of a man named John Cass uh, who survived the tornado, and here's what he said. He said, people who survive a tornado say it sounded like a freight train, But calling it a freight train is just a way to explain the unfathomable power to those who haven't experienced it. It's not a freight train, not really. It's a way of being polite. Perhaps I'm remembering it all wrong now. Perhaps it wasn't as loud as I remember. But there was the feeling of nature as evil. Nature with a mind, predatory nature intent on hunting us down. I don't think I want to be in a tornado anytime soon. But what I want you to notice about this testimony is two things. And the first thing I want you to notice is the personification of nature. And, and this is what our culture does, right, with natural phenomena, We, we uh, personify the impersonal. And we live in a culture that says there's no personal God and there's no overarching purpose to the world and that the world is just cycles and it's science and it's random. But then when we talk about nature, we still personify nature as if it has its own mind and as if it has its own purpose uh, for the world. Now, linguistically and emotionally, this might help us, but intellectually, it doesn't really make sense. It betrays what we say about the world. We say we live in an impersonal world, and then we begin to talk about it as if it's personal, this is interesting to me. I'm going to lay that aside. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit later. Uh, But the second thing I want you to notice is that he says, calling it a freight train is just a way to explain the unfathomable power of a tornado. He says, it wasn't a freight train. It was like a freight train. It was this powerful force that changed everything. Now, the reason I bring this up is because the church is meant to be a powerful personal force that brings change to the world. And this is what they saw on the day of Pentecost. There was this powerful personal experience, a powerful personal event happened to the church, through the church, and to the world. And it changed everything. So what I want to do is I want to think about this powerful spiritual event. And what was it? What was this powerful spiritual event? It was the giving of the Holy Spirit to his church. So for our purposes this morning, it was the formation of a spiritual church. And the reason I want to begin here is because... Uh, This is uh, because whenever we begin thinking about Pentecost or whenever we start talking about a spiritual church, it seems to me that we always get enamored with the phenomena of the spirit rather than the purpose of the spirit. I want you to look again at verse 1. It says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, so I want you to think about these phenomena with me the rushing wind. Right? The, the tongues that are hovering over them and are divided, right? these divided tongues of fire. And all the language, all the words that are being spoken, they're heard, they're, they're understood. It's amazing. So as we think about being a spiritual church, it would be easy for us to begin thinking that we need to have these experiences as well. If we are going to be a spiritual church, we, we need the wind, uh, we need the fire, we, we need the earth for the earth, wind, and fire. Um, it's a band from the past, but uh, uh, but I think my question for us is this, are these the things that the text is, ex, is, is, for, is asking us to expect? Is this what the text is actually asking us to expect in our own corporate and our own personal experiences? I want to say I'm not saying that God doesn't give experiences like these. I'm not saying that God doesn't work through phenomena like this and manifest his presence in very special ways. But what I am saying is this. In this text, I want you to notice that it is like a mighty rushing wind. And it is tongues as of fire. And so just like the testimony that the, te- t- the tornado sounded like right, a freight train, it's a simile. These are linguistic ways of describing a powerful experience. So what we need to do is we need to think about the powerful experience and what it was. And then why these images, these linguistic descriptions were used. All right, so bear with me for a little bit. I want you to remember what we talked about last week in Acts chapter 1 verse 4. The apostles were supposed to wait in Jerusalem Until they receive the Holy Spirit. And then they wait, and they wait, and they wait. And then you get to Acts chapter 1, verse 11, and we see that Jesus ascends up into heaven. And so now here we are. It's the day of Pentecost, and the Spirit comes. And what is happening on this day of Pentecost? But what is happening is that the resurrected and ascended Jesus has now gone into the throne room of heaven. He is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And at Pentecost, what he does is he sends his Holy Spirit as a gift to empower his church so that, chapter 1, verse 8, we might be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Or, as it says in our text, verse 11, to speak of the mighty works of God. And so here's the warning that I want to have for some of us. I want to warn us from just wanting the phenomena of the Spirit without the desire of participating in the purposes of the Spirit. And the purposes of the Spirit, the purpose of the gift is that we might bear witness to Christ and to his kingship. So as we think about this phenomenon, what's what's amazing is that if you just do a brief survey throughout the Bible of fire and wind, what you notice is that fire and wind almost always accompany the presence of God. And they accompany the presence of God, especially in the throne room of God. You can think about Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, at the giving of the law, right? Like heaven descends upon the top of Mount Sinai. And what is there? There, There's the storm and there's the fire. Or you can think about the descriptions of the heavenly throne room, especially in places like Ezekiel and Revelation and Isaiah. Wind and fire and noise and sounds. Or uh, just think about God's people. As they're led through the wilderness by the fire, the pillar of fire, leading them into the promised land. And so what's happening at Pentecost was that the heavenly throne room is opening up and they hear the wind of heaven. And they see the holy fire of heaven descending upon the people of God. It's amazing because what's happening is that the life of the throne room of heaven is being poured out. Upon the people of God to fill us with God Himself. You can think about it another way. Uh, as as most of you know, uh, the Bible begins like this: In the beginning, right? And in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And the heaven and the earth were uh, formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is amazing. The spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. Now, what's significant about this is in Hebrew, the word for spirit is ruach. And what does ruach mean? Wait for it. Wind. Breath. Right? The spirit. And so the rushing wind of Pentecost is that holy ruach. That holy wind, that holy breath, that holy spirit being sent from the throne of heaven to earth. And in the very beginning, that same ruach, that same wind, that same spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. And that same spirit then breathed life into the world to give life to all that God had made. And the climax of that creation, the climax of the Spirit's life-giving work, is seen in Genesis chapter 2, when God formed humanity, how? Out of the dust of the ground, like a potter making the man, and then what does he do? He breathes life into him. And that spirit-filled humanity was then supposed to multiply and fill the earth, reflecting God's love, reflecting his care, reflecting ultimately the rule of God over all of creation. But in our sin, we turned away from the life of God. And we began to pursue our own lives. And when we began to pursue our own lives, it sadly led to sin and death. And so what's happening at Pentecost is that through the resurrected and ascended Jesus, God has begun a new creation where he is once again breathing out his spirit into his people to give us new life so that we might be those who bear witness to King Jesus throughout the entire creation. And so that is what the powerful spiritual event is all about. But as we think about this powerful spiritual event, I want you to notice that this powerful spiritual event is also personal. Now by personal, I don't mean private. And by personal, I don't mean so much your own personal experience. What I mean is that Christian spirituality is about the personal God giving himself to us. That's what, that's what spirituality in Christianity is all about. It is about, verse 4, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about being a spiritual church, we aren't so much talking about our experiences or our practices or our emotions or our feelings. Surely we all have them. But what we mean when we talk about being a spiritual church is we mean the Holy Spirit. We mean the third person of the Trinity. What we mean by being a spiritual church is that God the Father and God the Son have graciously gifted us with himself. And what this means about our God is that our God is not only one who has given himself for us at the cross in Jesus, but he is one who gives himself to us in the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Now, this might be a different vision of spirituality than many of you are familiar with because it seems to me that in our culture and even in our own church, we tend to think about spirituality as some deep, personal, inward experience where we learn mastery over ourselves. And when we think about our spiritual practices and we talk about our spiritual practices, they too tend to be about looking deep within ourselves trying to find deeper meaning about ourselves and deeper meaning about our own experiences with the world. And therefore, in our culture, becoming spiritual, right, is really all about growing in a deeper understanding of ourselves and an acceptance of who we are. And we hear this in just the way we talk about things. I mean, as we talk to one another, we say things like, well, I'm just seeking my truth. Or you ought to find your truth. And then this vision of spirituality begins to spill out even into all of our stories. I've been watching uh, the new show that I hear the kids talking about these days on the Netflix. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the Netflix. Um, I think it's in Greenland or something. But anyway, they put a video in on the thing and then they send it to you. It's amazing. But anyway, it's called Wednesday, and if you've seen Wednesday, what you know is that it is, a, a, it's a Tim Burton origin story of Wednesday from the Addams family. It's, it's really pretty fun. But anyway, y'all don't care. Uh, we'll just keep going. Uh, but in, in the first episode, Wednesday goes to her therapist. Okay, now before I go any further uh, about this, I want you to say, I want to say, I love therapy. Like, I go to therapy. Uh, keep going to therapy. I encourage people to go to therapy. I'm going to go to many more times to therapy. Therapy can be really helpful. Not only that, we have a ton of great therapists in our congregation and throughout our city. I'm for therapy. Uh, I just want to make it clear. Don't hear what I'm not saying. All right. But culturally speaking, one of the most spiritual things that we can do is go to counseling. And because we live in a culture that has turned away from the counsel of God, we've actually lost a sense of ourselves. And so what we need and what we turn to is the secular therapist who has become the new secular high priest who can now help us regain an understanding of ourselves. Again, I just want to say, I think counseling and therapy can be really helpful, but I want you to listen To the way Wednesday's therapist describes therapy. She says this. This is a safe space, Wednesday. It's a sanctuary. Do you hear that? It's a sanctuary. It's a holy, spiritual place for you where you can explore what you're thinking, what you're feeling, your views on the world, and your personal philosophy. Therapy is a valuable tool for you to help you understand yourself. It can teach you new ways to deal with your emotions and help you build the life that you want to live. Do you hear what she's saying? Therapy is a sanctuary, It's a holy, spiritual place for you to explore yourself so that you can build the life that you want. Now, again, this can be helpful. You you should know the things that you want, the things you desire, the things you love, the things you care about. It's very important. But spirituality, Christian spirituality, isn't so much about exploring ourselves as it is turning our eyes to God and delighting in his mighty works of salvation. You see, secular spirituality is personal in the sense that uh, we set out to explore ourselves. But Christian spirituality is personal in the sense that we set out to explore God. All right, that's a lot. Uh, And so let's see what this might mean for us. What does it mean then for us to be a spiritual church? Well, first what this is going to mean is that we are going to be a church that is radically committed to the grace of God. We will be radically committed to the grace of God. And the reason for this is because all that we have and all that we are and any knowledge of God and any obedience to him is a gift that has come from his hand. We have to remember what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That in our sin, we are opposed to God and we are opposed to his ways. That none has done, no one has done good, no, not one. So look, here's the question. If we are dead to God, How is it then that we could ever be made alive to him? And the answer that the Bible gives is God makes us alive. That God changes us. And how does he do that? By the gift of his Holy Spirit. Listen to the way John Stott talks about this. He says, without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable... Even impossible. There can be no life without the lawgiver. No understanding without the spirit of truth. No fellowship without the unity of the spirit. No Christ likeness of character apart from his fruit. And no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath is a corpse. So the church without the spirit is dead. Here's his point. God through his spirit, gives us life. It is a gift. I want you to think about the story once again. The apostles, they were supposed to wait in Jerusalem until God gave them the Holy Spirit. And what that meant was they couldn't go get it. What it meant was they couldn't control it. They couldn't earn it. They couldn't demand it. All they could do was receive it. Because the Bible tells us that the spirit blows where He blows. And so when Jesus ascended into heaven and entered into the glorious throne room, what does he do? But he graciously, kindly pours himself out upon his church so that we might be filled with him, so that we might know him, so that we might follow him, so that we might love him, so we might be empowered to bear witness to him. It is all a gift. It is all by grace. But even though it is a gift, uh, we can still ask for it. Think about Christmas. I mean, at Christmas, what do your parents ask you? What do you want for Christmas? It's a gift. When you sit on Santa's lap and he says, little boy, little girl, what do you want for Christmas? That's how Santa talks, right? Uh, (laughs) Y'all all know that. Uh, You ask, and you ask for the great gifts, right? And you expect them to come. And that's what we do with Jesus. That's what we do with God. He invites us to ask And in his kindness, as we wait for him, he pours out his spirit upon us, empowering us and strengthening us, filling us that we might be empowered to bear witness to him. And what I want you to see here is that the Christian life is a life of grace, because if we were dead and God in his kindness made us alive... Or, if, as Paul says in Romans chapter 3, if all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace uh, as a gift to be received by faith, then what becomes of our boasting? Christians like to boast. Why? It was all a gift. And Paul goes on to say, What, 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 uh, what becomes of our boasting? Paul says, It is excluded. Look, if God has been gracious to me, I promise you, he can be gracious to you. And if God has been gracious to me, I have nothing to boast in except him. Except him. And this is how the spiritual church must respond to the world. If God has been kind to me when I was his enemy, surely... He could be kind to your enemies. And so we think this way. If God could be kind to me, he could be kind to you as well. But I think it's more than that. If God has been kind to me, then I must be kind to you. It's not just the way we think about or the words we speak. But if God has really been kind to me, and he has then we must be kind to one another. I was recently talking with a friend of mine about Francis and Edith Schaeffer and their ministry in Labrie. And their ministry out in Labrie over in Switzerland was this ministry to people who really wanted to, you know, who were trying to figure out what Christianity was all about after World War II. And people would come to their homes and when they would come to their homes, they would welcome them in and they would have supper with them and they would talk with them about the gospel and about philosophical ideas and they would work in the garden together. It was this wonderful ministry of radical, radical hospitality and deep intellectual conversations. And one of the things that everyone who looks at the Labrie movement says is that Francis Anita Schaefer would welcome you no matter who you were, no matter what you had done, and no matter where you had come from, no matter what you believed, no matter how you lived. They said if you're a teen mother with a child, you were both welcome. If you were a pregnant, unwed mother, you were welcome. And not only were you welcome, Edith would make sure that you got to the doctor for all your appointments, she would make sure you ate a good meal every night. She would make sure you took your vitamins and she would make sure that the mother and the child would be cared for even after the birth. And if you read anything about Labrie and Francis and Edith Schaefer, everyone says everyone was welcome and everyone who was welcomed heard about Jesus. Everyone was welcome and everyone heard about Jesus. And in their disagreements, radical disagreements with people, Never looking down on them, never disrespecting them, treating them with dignity and respect because they knew that everything they knew and everything that they had had come from a gracious God. And if God had been so kind to them, then they must be kind to others. Radically committed to grace. The second thing is that we will be radically committed to bearing witness to the name of Jesus. Many of you know this, but the day of Pentecost was a reversal of Babel. Uh, You might remember that back in Genesis chapter 11, humanity had turned away from God and there was still a common language upon the earth. And uh, humanity had been called to fill the earth, to multiply and fill the earth, bearing witness to God. That's what he told them. But instead, what did humanity do? They gathered on the plains of Shinar to build a tower to heaven. And the purpose of this tower was that they could build their way to heaven and they could make a name for themselves. It's interesting. So rather than filling the earth and making a name for God, they said, we'll just stay here and we'll make a name for ourselves. And when God saw this, the text says, he came down and he confused their language and sent them out to fill the earth. He sent them out to do the things that they're supposed to do. And then the text gets weird if you follow it. Because as you follow it along, you you get to the next line after the Tower of Babel. And it says, these are the generations of Shem. It's kind of fascinating. It's a really great uh, narrative. Uh, If you don't know this, Shem in Hebrew means uh, the name or the name of renown. So when you think about this, this is amazing structurally what happens there. Humanity stayed and tried to build a name for themselves. And God says, hey, let me tell you about the generations of the name of renown. And the generations of Shem, do you know where they end? They end with this man named Abraham. Abraham, the one whom God had come to and made a promise saying, I'll be your God. I'll be the God of your children. He sent him out and he says, your children will fill the earth and they will be a blessing to the nations. Now we come to the New Testament and there's this man named Jesus and Jesus is the son of Abraham and he's a blessing to the world. He's the blessing to the world. And so what does he do at Pentecost? He comes down not to curse humanity, but to bless and fill humanity with his presence And this is what he was doing, was proclaiming to the world that every tongue was doing, was proclaiming to the world that every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every culture belonged to him. Unlike other religions like Islam, which is embedded in a culture and in a language and in a place, Christianity on its very first day, at its inception, said Jesus is king of it all. Every tribe, every culture, all nations forever must bow before him and live out of the grace of his hand. And so a spiritual church is going to be a church that bears witness to the world that Jesus is its king. Radically committed to grace. Radically committed to bearing witness to the name of Christ. And then lastly, a spiritual church is one that is radically committed to a new way of life. This is important. Again, the Spirit of God might come to us just as we are, but the Spirit of God will never leave us just as we are. In the same way that a tornado might blaze a trail wherever it goes, so too the Spirit of God blazes a trail wherever he goes. And I want you to notice that all these events happen at Pentecost, verse 1. Now, Pentecost was one of the required Jewish festivals. And in other parts of the Bible, the festival of Pentecost was also called the festival of harvest or the festival of first fruits. And so this would be an event. This would be a festival where the Jews would gather together in Jerusalem. They'd bring their first fruits of their harvest. They would present them at the temple, right? And then they would give thanks to God for his provision and for his future provision. So now think about what's happening on the first Pentecost. The resurrected Jesus, who is called in the New Testament, wait for it, the first fruits, which is amazing, ascends into the heavenly temple as the offering for the people of God as a guarantee that more fruit will come. And how does that fruit come? But he pours, he rains his spirit down upon his people so that we might be fruitful like him. And again, this is why in Galatians chapter 5, Paul goes on to talk about what? The fruit of the Spirit. And Paul says, when you receive the Spirit, a war goes on in your life. Uh, There's a war that goes on between the weeds or the desires of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And they rise up and go do battle with one another. And so Paul is saying to his people, like, walk by the Spirit. Do not gratify desires of the flesh. Fight the good fight. Well, what are those desires of the flesh? I think we all know them. Uh, They're listed in the Bible. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Uh, Do you know any of these things? Of course you do. I mean, do you know anger? Anybody fit of anger, division, rivalry, drunkenness, Uh, orgies? I don't know, right? These are the desires of the flesh. A spiritual church is is a church that will come together to war against these things in our lives. Uh, we will turn away from these things together so that we might walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we might bear fruit, God's fruit. As we pursue, if you just think about those desires of the flesh, I mean, as we would pursue a new religion rooted in Jesus, not ourselves. As we would pursue a new way of relating, not, a, not loving ourselves, but loving our neighbor. And as we would pursue a new sexual ethic, one of purity, just as our God is pure and faithful. And and, and what is it, right, that will be new about our way? It will be the way of the Spirit. It will be the life of God being worked into us. And what does that look like? Well, he describes that as the fruit of the Spirit. It's it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a more beautiful way of life. It's a more beautiful way to live in the world. And it is empowered by the Spirit of God as a gift to us. That we might reflect the beauty and the fruit of his kingdom. And so our prayer this morning is that more and more we might become a spiritual church committed, radically committed to God's grace. That we would be a spiritual church radically committed to proclaiming and bearing witness to the name and radically committed to a new way of life. All empowered by his spirit. And so as we prepare now to come to this table, that's what the table is all about. The table is all about grace. Jesus did it all. It's Jesus on the table, not you. It was Jesus on the cross, not you. And instead of demanding your body and your blood, he gave his body and his blood so that we might be saved. This is a gift, right, to be received. And it's this table where God proclaims himself, where Christ is proclaimed. And what do we see about him? But he is good and he is true and he's merciful and he's kind. And he is the king of the world. And it is his promise that he will come again for all who are waiting for him. And when he comes again, the entire world will have to give an account to him. And then through this meal, what does the spirit of God do? But he strengthens us. That we might be his people living a new way of life. Walking by the power of the spirit in the way of Jesus. Becoming that spiritual church that he has made us to be.